0: Welcome back to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends over at Smathers and Branson. We love uh, craft small businesses, you know, ones with stories. I guess they aren't that small anymore. But uh, one of the neat things I always find with companies is kind of their founding story. So Peter and Austin, the founders of uh, Smathers and Branson, were you know friends in college it all started with their girlfriends who made them both hand stitch needlepoint belts as a gift and then after college you know they got together and thought hey you know these belts are pretty awesome why don't we start doing them for a business so that's how it started you know i always respect the entrepreneurial hustle of this they are a booming business with one of the best products out there for golfers and non-golfers alike, this is a great gift for anybody. It's 100% hand-stitched needlepoint on vegetable-tanned Italian leather on the belt, also on wallets, uh, you know, luggage tags, all sorts of different products made with this same process. So on their website, they have a huge offering, huge offering of stuff. Like I think when they reached out about potentially. Sponsoring this podcast. That was a big revelation for me. I had just seen them in pro shops. I didn't know how much stuff was on the website. So you can get college stuff, uh, you can get MLB, NFL, and NHL stuff. You can get your favorite bands, you know, and then also they have some golfer stuff with the iconic Arnold Palmer umbrella and the Jack Nicholas Golden Bear. Uh, also, for anybody, any Formula One uh, people, they have that. So, anyways, Go online, www.SmathersBranson.com. That's Smathers, S-M-A-T-H-E-R-S and A-N-D, Branson, B-R-A-N-S-O-N.com. And if you use the code Egg, you'll get 15% off your entire order, plus free shipping. All right, the U.S. Open is upon us. It's here, another major. I mean, it's going to have a tough time living up to last major with Phil winning at 50 at Kiowa. That was, you know, sensational major championship, but the U S open, the, uh, Sturtis test in golf is going to be played. Uh, it will be at Torrey Pines this week. So who better to get on the podcast to discuss a, a U.S. open at Torrey Pines and Jeff Ogilvy? Jeff obviously won the Oh six U S open at Winkfoot, but he was also in the mix at Torrey Pines. Uh, he was one off the lead with, with 10 holes to play. So, he was uh, in the mix. He shed some light on how Torrey Pines plays different in the summer, you know, much different. And then uh, we go through my five things. I'm watching just a lot of odds and ends. We touch on a lot of things. It's been a while since I talked to Jeff. So we talk about just tons of stuff beyond the U S open before we go to Jeff. Check out the website. We'll have a bunch of stuff up there. If you don't already, please subscribe to the newsletter. Will Knights from our team does just a phenomenal job, and we will have newsletters every day of the week with different stories and such from Tory Pines. Um, it's an easy way to stay engaged with golf. You know, whether it's a major week or not a major week. So sign up for that on our news. Our website. It is completely free. Now, without further ado, here is Jeff Ogilvy. the Tory Pines defender <laughs> the ultimate Torrey Pines. you love it obviously you played great no 08 but why, why is it a great as you've said an awesome US Open venue
1: well I never loved it in January or February when we played the Buick or what is it now the Farmers I disliked it a lot I mean you play the whole west coast and the desert courses I love like the Hope was always a good warm up tournament Phoenix is a great tournament what else is there? You got Pebble. We used to have Tucson. You got, got Riv- Tucson. Riviera. Yeah. And the California ones, I always, I love Pebble for what it is, but it's a frustrating tournament because of the greens. Um, if you're really trying to get into form for the start of the year, Riviera is brilliant because it's Riviera. Victoria was just such a long slog. You'd play Phoenix and you'd be in like 85 degrees and it'd be sunny and you'd be hitting the ball. 320 and then you'd get to Torrey and you drive and go 240 up the first it goes so short and it's so long and you're just for hitting out of this dewy wet rough all week and I just I found it brutal and then so I wasn't looking forward to 2008 at all and then when we got there it might be my favorite US Open that I ever played to be fair outside of Wingfoot maybe it helped that Tiger won and helped that I kind of played well but it all of a sudden like there was a bit of a bounce on the course and the Kakuyu gets in the rough, so the ball doesn't go all the way to the bottom. It sort of you could get lucky in the rough, and it could kind of hover because it's such a thick grass, you know. And I don't know. I just found it like if if you had the recovery skill, you could actually do it. Whereas in January, February, you just couldn't. So it was funny. It was the most surprising U.S. Open over ever played. Going there, thinking, oh my god, this is going to be eight thousand yards of just brutal. To ah, this was actually alright. Like it played a lot shorter. Um, at that time of year, um, and I was obviously playing really well. But and then the way it finished, I played with Rocco on Sunday, and he was having the best day. I was kind of in it till after till about nine to play, and then had two or three bogeys on the back, and maybe finished seventh or eighth or something. I think in the end, but I was on the Rocco bandwagon the last few holes. It was fantastic, and the Tiger Hole that part, It was it was a great tournament.
0: Yeah, th- we had the superintendent on, um, and he talked about how the Kikuya in it is going to give it a little bit more unpredictable uh, nature, the rough. Would you say that's a fair, a fair way to describe it? Yeah, at least
1: last time. And I know, I feel like they've been, I just read yesterday. I think they're trying to accentuate. They're trying to, they've been trying to bring out the kukuya, like actually feed, have it as a feature and have less ryegrass in the rough, which is kind of the normal US Open rough, the ryegrass or the bluegrass. The kukuya is really different. Like it's a bit more like Zorgia. It's, it's awful really when you get, you can get these really bad lies in it and it can be so thick and it's like sort of wrist hurting rough, but it doesn't always go to the bottom. I mean, quite sometimes it can kind of hover quite up the top. So you've got these lies where the ball is sitting like a couple of inches in the air, like just floating on the grass. Cause it's such a strong grass, it's kind of like Velcro. So it's very random what you'll get. But it's a great grass when it's like short, like it's fantastic at Riviera. It's such a great grass to play off. Like the ball just sits up, and you can get a lot of spin off it. But when it gets longer, it's progressively anything from a really good lie in the rough to like the worst lie I've ever seen. So it's going to be sort of randomness.
0: Does the ball fly a lot when it sits up? Like how does it? You know, I'm I'm thinking i have I'm not I'm a Midwesterner, so. My grasses are, are pretty just boring. They're rye and bent, you know, everywhere and bluegrass. And uh, is it more like, is it like Bermuda where you get that, like, you get serious jumpers and then sometimes the ball just comes out dead as can be?
1: It's not really crazy hot like Bermuda is. Like, Bermuda rough is like super flyer, as you say. I wouldn't think of Kikuyu as a bit really sort of flyer rough, but it does sit. Above the level of the dirt, if you know what I mean, like it can sit halfway down the rough because it's such a strong grass, so your real issues are hitting the ball off the middle and not hitting it high on the club face. I feel like usually you hit those ones that you hit high like the top groove and the ball just mm-hmm. goes nowhere. Um, yeah that really I think is more the problem because you try, it's sort of it's still down in the rough but it's not all the way down. so you go down to get it and you end up hitting it on the top of the club and the ball goes nowhere. It's probably more the challenge really.
0: Like if you tee an iron up too high,
1: yeah, exactly. It's exactly like teeing an iron up too high, um, and roof. You're almost roofing it. Yeah, it's a <laughs> it's a brutal grass, but it's I don't know. It's interesting. It's an acquired taste. I mean, South Africa. That's all they play on, um, and in Sydney and Australia, there's actually a lot of kikuyu grass, and then obviously Riviera and some California stuff. So it's quite unique. I think it might be an African grass. I'm not sure, but um, <laughs> it's very hardy and it's very st- tough, but it's it's uh, tricky when it gets long. Uh,
0: speaking of 08, right? You're you're one back. You're really in it at, at like on the eighth hole, ninth hole on Sunday. You're one back of of Westy, who is always the lost story of this of this championship. He's the one that kind of gave it all away. Um, yeah. That led to the epic Tiger Rocco story. But um, you know. W- What's the difference having most people not been there? Like you're in like a really similar position to 06. And what's the difference between the back nine and 08 versus 06? Like, is it, how narrow is that line between you winning and you finishing seventh? Like when you're in the mix on a back nine like that in a major.
1: Pretty narrow. I mean, I felt really good about it. I felt probably more comfortable there because it's two, I'd won two years ago. I was probably playing better. I think I felt better about my game and I don't know. It just, it was one of those ones where I don't feel like I did much wrong. I hit it in the bunker on nine off the tee, the par five and the bunkers that week were the one complaint point, I think from the boys in that it was an instant plug. Anything that went, I mean, like talcum powder, yeah, fried eggs everywhere. <laughs> they were like talcum powder, you know, like moon dust. The borders just went <laughs> straight down in it. And I plugged one on nine in the fairway bunker. Like it bounced and plugged. It was like a 500 and something, 580 yard par five or something. So it was like, I hit it out 20. And now I've got my third shot as the layup instead of my fourth. So I make bogey there and I drive at the bunker on 10 and get an awful lie and make bogey, bogey. And I went from like one back to three back. And then I kind of hovered there the rest of the time. So it was like a couple of loose tee shots. But if they'd just gone on normal lies, I would have been fine, you know. So... It's a fine line. It is a very fine line. I mean, that week had a feeling of inevitability about it from Saturday night, and Tiger chips in on 17, and then makes a bomb on 18, right, I think, Mm -hmm. to kind of go from third last group to last group, like he's just a freak show at getting in the last group on Sunday, and it's like, wow, this this has got the Tiger feel about it, and Westy played great. I think by memory did he try to drive off the deck on 13 and I think yeah. it went left yeah. and he kind of made six or something from a really good drive. Yeah. And that and was there, kind of the couple, turning point.
0: A couple bad putts too, you know, a couple yeah. of jabs.
1: I'd never begrudge anyone a bad putt. <laughs> like deep, deep on sun, Saturday, Sunday, the greens in California, like on the coast, just the nature of power grass. It's just going to be ropey. I mean, we see, you've seen Tiger's worm's eye view a lot of times, but it doesn't stay on the ground very much. Um, yeah, putting's tough on Sundays. Yeah, but it's such a fine line between winning and top ten. It's really I mean, like a
0: matter of of good breaks or good bounces. Like you get a good bounce here or there, especially with the way the bunkers are oriented. Like, I mean, I think this is like something that when you play a course that's really well bunkered and the the bunkers are all like right in your driving zone, it's just over seventy two holes. You're going to hit it into a couple of them. You are, and
1: look normally in the U.S. Open. Um, and I know this is one of Mike Davis's things, and I'm sure it's just a general USGA thing. They don't want people to be looked after when they're in the bunker. They want the bunker to be as bad as the rough or worse. It's just, yeah, tory has got bunkers on both sides of every hole. It feels like a driving distance or very regularly, that um, Fazio sort of style. And it's just, uh, yeah, you're going to miss some. You just are. They're only 20 yards wide. You're going to miss some. So there's a bit of fortune in it. I mean, generally, I would have said, at the end of the week, the best player, the guy who's playing the best wins, but there's, out of the top bunch of guys, there's a lot of guys who've had great wicks, just been, like, sort of unrailed, just unrailed by two or three bad lies. You know, you can hit three balls in the rough and get three different results, right? One you can hit a five-iron out of, one you can hit a 9 on out of, and the other one you can only move at 20 metres, you know, like, and that's sort of the randomness of what US Opens are like, but you know that, and that's what does your head in when you play them. Like, every, you start Thursday morning and you just know you're just going to get Unlucky a lot, you know. But you know the whole field's going to get unlucky a lot, and that's how you handle the uh, the, the sort of misfortune, I guess.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's. uh So I don't know if you saw this. If anybody sent you this, Justin Ray, the great statistician, put together a uh, put together the stat uh, entering the 2008 U.S. Open at Torrey. There, there. Uh, here were the best scores to par in majors by players with 50 plus rounds played since 1997. So there are 111 players in this group. Tiger is. Negative, minus 125. Ernie's plus 73. Phil's plus 74. And there you are, plus 77. Next closest player is Nick O'Hearn at plus 102. Oh, wow. Pretty good group.
1: Yeah. It's funny. That Tory Open, I shot like one or two under, I think, in the first round on Thursday. And Doug Ferguson was very excited running up to me. He says, did you know that's the first time you've ever broken par in in a round in a U.S. Open? You're the first. You're the first U.S. Open champion. Whoever won U.S. Open, never having a round under par in the U.S. Open. <laughs> but I, I, didn't even know that. And then he tell totally he was very excited on that. Yeah.
0: That's a wild stat. Isn't That's crazy stat. Yeah. Yeah, Trevino was like the first guy to win one with four rounds under par at uh, when he won at uh, at Balt or Oak Hill.
1: Really? Wow. Yeah, I'm not surprised. I mean, it's just impossible to shoot under par there. Yeah, it was a funny stat though. Yeah. Yeah, I played the I, – I used to love the – I just loved the toughness of it. It's just such a – I don't know. it just some people – Yeah, I kind of got off on the how do I make par on this? hole? just find a way, you know. Like it's just something about it. And if you get in that right headspace, that's when you do well in US Opens. There was plenty of US Opens later on that I wasn't in that headspace and, and it wasn't quite as much fun. But um, there's something about that beating the impossible, you know, that's really satisfying, you know.
0: It's interesting uh, how there are just certain players that are like major players, right? You know, like you—they are you, almost—it's almost inevitable for them to be on the leaderboard, whether they win a ton of them or not. Like, like Xander Shoffley appears to be like this. This era is like just major player, like every major, just uh, almost in the bank top ten. And it, it it started when he was a local qualifier at Aaron Hills, but like is it do you think it's just when when it just gets ramped up it's the guys that are just a little have a little bit of uh you know a mental edge or you know what is it that makes somebody just a constant major presence
1: um I mean I think Brooks actually hit on it the other day a little bit that it just captures I think you play your best when you're paying the most attention and you're the most into it you know and most guys who are you get on tour and you become a good player. You've played so much golf, even by the time you're 25. It's just outrageous. More golf than anyone else in the world, right? It's outrageous. And it just takes a bit more, I think, to get you fully into it. And I think the guys who do best in majors, one, are great, and they're they're just physically great players and mentally great players. But two, it's they're all in in a major where they might not be all in in Greensboro or like Riviera or something. They're like, they're all in, you know? And I think I was a bit like that, that though I thought I was all in on the Thursday of the Phoenix open, you know what I mean? But it's different, you know, <laughs> yeah. than the first at the masters or the first at the US open. And I just think some people I think really thrive and enjoy the, like that every hole feels like the last hole kind of an image, you know, that real stress. And I think some guys like that. And sometimes some guys don't. And I think, I don't think there's a right or wrong or a, anything you can do about that. I think some guys are like that and some guys aren't. Um, And Brooks is clearly – he's the most like that we've ever seen, isn't he, I think? And Louis too. Louis is outrageous. I mean, Louis, he's obviously an unbelievable player and he's top 50 in the world for the last 15 years, but he is absolutely at his best in the majors. He's almost always there.
0: Yeah, for him too, I think it's just like he's so – uber talented when it comes to striking the ball that it becomes so clear when the conditions get tougher and tougher, how much, how extraordinarily talented he is from T Green. Like, you know, Akua, he was like, I mean, Saturday or S- Sunday and Saturday, it was very ugly watching him. He was hitting like little like heel cuts out there, but, he, you know, he's still getting the ball around. It's still like in the mix. Per se, like it was not like your your typical Louis Eustace in golf where it it's just like you know dead center of the face every every shot um I think any everybody should be able to relate to this and i you know I don't think it's it's right for brooks to get a heat from people about this because just think of like if as a golf fan like golf fans watching Greensboro versus golf fans watching a major like there's so much it's the you're same so much yeah you're so much more locked in like yeah. greaseboro you might it might be saturday afternoon and you might you know be laying on the couch and you doze off for 40 minutes <laughs> like
1: you know and also it's like you've got 30 as a pro as a golfer you've got 30 tournaments a year and say you're four or five years into your career you've had 30 tournaments a year for five years there are gonna be some that you're into more than others it's just the nature of it it's like people who go to work every day and they do the same thing at their desk and they do all their stuff but they have a the big meeting with the board once a month you don't think they're more on when they've got the meeting with the board than they are just their normal day at work like it's just the way it is like the major is the meeting with the board or the boss or like that's when you actually have to be at your best and i think it captures your attention i think also the crazy hard setups and the majors also sort of have a great way of exposing like the real abilities you know I mean clearly like the people we're talking about Brooks and Xander and Louie i mean they are they have more game than most guys in the world, and when they're presented a challenge that asks them to hit that, have that game, they have it, and not everybody does you know so there's a bit in that, I think as well it's sort of i wouldn't say a talent talent's the wrong word but like ability um exposure like if you've got all the shots. Like, the Masters is the best at it. The Masters is by a long way the best at exposing any weakness in your game. And the ones who have the least weakness usually are there at the end, you know. Um, And that's the USGA trying to do, you know, trying to weed out the weaknesses and find the strength. And it works on a physical level as well as mental, I think.
0: Yeah, it seems like the USJs is a little bit more heavy-handed, right? <laughs> a, an approach of of exposing, like you know, it's, it's it's almost prescriptive, like you have to be a certain type of golfer. Versus, I think one of the things I've come to appreciate, and, and this might be something that's changed with you know modern distances, but if you look at the Masters, it's you don't have to be a bomber to win at Augusta, you know. You've got to kind of be a bobber in the last 10 years to win a U.S. Open.
1: Well, that's the rough. It? I mean, I think the only mistake the USGA make, if you would decide they make a mistake with setup. up, and as I said, I love the U.S. Open. I love everything about it. But if you were going to take the tactic that a lot of people think, well, they're a bit, Their only issue is that they try to dictate a score. Whether they say they don't or not, they're obsessed with scores really low under par or over par you have to distort the setup and so you have to make it narrow and you have to make it long rough. And as soon as you make it really long rough, you bring a lot more luck into it than you do like an Augusta. Augusta, you get where you hit it. Where you hit it, you hit it there and you've got to deal with it. The US Open, you can have four, four guys all hit it in the same spot and they all get four different results, you know. So that's mm-hmm. a little bit more fluky. And the irony is that their ideal is to take away chance you know, and to make it, you know, you hit the right shot, you're rewarded; you hit the bad shot, you're punished. And of course, like the old course, which is seemingly all chance, almost always throws up the best players in the world who win at the old course. In the U.S. Open, you can have some sort of random stuff go on. So the only thing is that if they, if they got away from par as a sort of a benchmark, I think their uh, setups would be a bit more because whenever they go wide. Sometimes they go wide and they go nuts with the greens. And when they don't go nuts with the greens, they go super narrow with long rough. It's like they're always trying to protect score. And I don't understand. I've never understood why is a champion better at even par than he is at 18 under. I mean, when Faldo wins St. Andrews by five and Tiger wins it by nine, like these are the best players in the world. And this course is is accentuating how good they are. You know, it's amplifying how much better they are than everyone else. Isn't that like finding the best player? um but as i said i loved i there's something really masochistic about play u.s open you know like it's (laughs) there's something really enjoyable about the pain you go through sometimes
0: it's it's not the same it's a it's not a simulation like you walk off the course i imagine and just start just exhausted
1: you look forward to whining. You know, you go on the last few holes. It's like, oh, it's, it's other media. you're going to be there. I'm gonna, I've got all this. You start lining up your complaints for the men three holes to play. This place sucks. Uh, it's nuts. But as I say, it's a, it's an enjoyable pain, I guess.
0: Speaking of someone who lines up their complaints at uh, at, at USGA events, uh, how amazing was Phil Akila? How much did you catch of that? And just, you know, it's somebody that's in his peer group. What was what was seeing that like? Yeah, it was
1: nuts. That was unbelievable. I mean, uh, completely unpredictable. I mean, he's gone out of his way his whole career, it feels like, to show people he can do stuff that no one else can do, you know? And he's still doing it. Like, it's crazy. And he's done it in a completely unpredictable way, you know? Like, I think it goes all the way back to when he sort of got that arthritis. Um, yeah. Thing, don't you think and then he started really paying attention to food and he always takes it if he gets into a subject he seems to take a deep dive and he took a real deep dive into the physical side and then obviously the mental side and loves the twitter and instagram sort of showing off and i don't know he's just had a like a it's it's like he was made for this era you know of the way everyone is you know and he's thriving and i just think he really loves he loves a challenge and he's always been amazing at like sort of doing what he says he's gonna do, you know, it was just incredible. I never saw it happen. But then after Saturday when he was going out in the last round, I thought I actually thought he was gonna win just cause he's always been impressive. Even the last three or four times he played with Tiger on Sundays he beat him, you know, like he's all when he gets up for something, he's up for something. Like he's nuts. It was unbelievable. It's one of the coolest things I've ever seen. It
0: was I I was out there watching and it was really a couple things that were the big takeaways was I'd never seen somebody that it it seemingly was, he was running a game on Brooks in the final group. Like the, the pace at which he was playing was just beyond slow, you (laughs) know, and he would be yucking it up with the fans (laughs) and Brooks would be in the fairway, like throwing his hands up, you know, and he just, it, it, I it kind of made me feel like he was like in a money game, you know, and he was just doing what he, he he was doing. And then the other thing that, that stood out was I felt like the wind just really helped him because he was, he was the guy that had every single shot in the bag, like hitting that punch seven iron on, on 10 was like a, you know, I think a huge moment in it because Brooks hits this, his fade that kind of gets caught up in the wind and it it takes it out of it. He ends up 20 yards short. Phil hits from a similar position, just this like penetrating punch draw seven iron And and he hits it 10 feet makes birdie. And it was just, I thought him having every shot in the bag was just so monumental from a shape standpoint because of the wind.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He's just, he's just, he's always, uh, I wouldn't be, surprised if like you said he was getting under Brooks's skin that part of he, he's his whole MO is getting under people's skin you know like when he walks in the locker room or he like he's on the rage especially in a money game like it's you cannot get him to close his mouth in a money game it's unbelievable Um never stops chirping ever
0: well, that's so, what Trevino like, like, did too they say I mean they were same, like Trevino yeah. just followed people around and talked to him the whole round
1: he just loved it and he's just, he's always challenging you. Like you can't do this. You can't do that. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. You can't hit it like I can and all that. So he just, that environment, he's just made for that environment. And as you said, physically, like he's, the only weakness I think he's ever had is probably the really long stuff and it can get a bit wild, you know, with the driver and stuff. But his iron play is as good as anyone's I've ever seen. Like it's outrageous how good he hits iron shots, um, and you should see him, as I said, in money games and stuff. He's come out to Scottsdale a ton of times and he'd play with all of us. It's Daisy Chip 9, 10, 11 under par, just like hitting the pin with a five on and stuff. I mean, he's nuts good with his irons. Crazy. And experience, I think, as much as, I mean, Brooks has got all the shots too, but like that experience, even though Brooks is experienced, Phil's 20 years more experienced. You know, you just can't beat experience in the last nine holes of a major. You just can't. We just not we're just not very used to seeing 50-year-olds who can hit at 330, you know. Normally, they're sort of done by then, you know, but he's still playing, like, 30-year-old golf when he's 50. It's nuts, yeah.
0: He he fits your your theory about build perfectly and longevity.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Because that swing is still – it's unbelievable how long it still is, you know? Like – I mean, I can't swing like I swung at 23. Like, I don't have. It's like and the fact that he's 50 and still getting it into the positions he's getting into is just unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, he's an
1: unbelievable athlete. Like, he's, uh, I mean, he talks a big game, but he actually really is a. a I mean, he's always, He'll if you've got a weight, he sits on the tee like all cross legged like a yogi and like he looks really comfortable that way and he's always stretching and like he's hyper flexible, which is clearly showing to be an advantage when you're 50, you know, maybe. You and I should start stretching a bit more. You know,
0: <laughs> you know the thing about stretching. Somebody explained studying to me like this, and it it like when you think about studying, it's like the easiest thing in the world. It's you all they're asking you to do is sit in a chair and read, right? Like that studying yeah. and stretching is so similar. It's like all they're asking you to do is sit on the floor and and stretch. But yeah. it's makes it's so difficult to do. I don't understand. It's just some people got it and some people don't. I don't have. I think, a, I think it's a
1: habit. I think when we were young and I was frothing on golf and everything. I mean, I'm like just no stone unturned headspace. You know, when you're in that golf headspace, I would watch TV and just stretch. You know, and I'd look for bits of carpet. Oh, that looks like a good spot. I'll go there. I haven't done that for ages. Like when then later on you get into the I stretch when I go to the gym and so when you go to the gym you stretch or a little bit. But I used to just stretch when I saw a bit of carpet. Like you'd be in the airport at the gate and I'd be stretching on the ground, you know. And I think if you can develop it's just it's a good habit to develop, I guess.
0: I'm gonna try try and start the habit tonight. But it makes really cool. you feel good. You do feel better, it's- like it's unbelievable. I yeah, I went on a, a gym tear like last year or before the before COVID. And I just from stretching before and after in the gym, like all of a sudden I had so much more flexibility. Life was so much easier.
1: Yeah, you can tell. I, I just remember like later in my career I was always good at warming up on tour and having a good stretch. But it's you'd go I'd go I'd go home and I'd just go out for a hit at rock or something and just Rolls-Royce it straight to the first tee, and you're, like, warmed up on about the fourth, you know? Whereas, like, the full tour warm-up, like, your first sandwich feels, like, fluid and oily, and you could hit a five-iron straight away. Like, it's uh, it's very... I think it's... I don't know how important it is long-term. It seems like it's really important, but it definitely makes a difference, like, on that day.
0: All right, let's get into uh, this year's US Open. I put together five things, and I'm curious your thoughts on these five things. Okay. Does any non-bomber have a chance at Tory this year?
1: Uh, you would think no, but Rocco made the playoff last time, so I would say yes. Don't ask me for which one.
0: What, what did Rocco? Reason- what did Rocco do so well that week as a non-bomber?
1: I can't remember, but I think he was obviously hitting a lot of fairways. He can't. A non-bomber has to hit it straight. That's the only way. I mean, and I feel like I see the forecast is kind of warm. That's going to help the non-bombers. Because if it was one of those chilly, sort of foggy, Tory weeks, that just makes it play so much longer again. Um, if the sun's out, it's warm. Like a Camp Smith or something, who's pulling long enough, he hits at 300 yards, but he wouldn't be in the bomber category. Someone like him,
0: they're just going to have to hit more fairways, you know. Short game too, probably, right? Scrambling.
1: Yeah, because you're going to be coming into holes like 12. I mean, people yeah, haven't been to Torrey and like play 12 from the team we play from. I mean, it is like, it's just outrageous. Um, 500 yards straight towards the ocean on fairways that the ball doesn't run. And it's like drive a th- head cover. It's like a hybrid or a three wood or something for some players in the field, probably second shot. And then Brooks is hitting a seven on in. So there's a massive difference. You're going to miss greens with such long shots, you know, and they'll be firm and they're tricky around the greens a little bit, Torrey they're hard to read like any golf course next to the ocean often has like there's a draw towards the ocean that doesn't make sense sometimes. Um,
0: how how does it work with the books? Does the, does it, you know, does that help or does it almost make you more confused then?
1: I don't know. I, I always got confused by the books, so I never used them, but um, <laughs> they're very good. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not up with the latest. I know when they changed the rules of the books, the books changed a little bit and they got a bit more chilled out, but, um, a non-bomber can definitely win there or contend there or win but it's a harder week for them to do it you know you you can't get away with as much if you're that much further back
0: i feel like bryson last year at wingfoot really you know this isn't a situation like you talked about before beth page i mean you call it you're like nobody that doesn't hit it really far has a chance so this is different than beth page definitely yeah i mean beth page
1: is absolutely 100% it's Brooks and Dustin and Rory and that's it. You know, like this is the only way because it's all carry onto the green at Beth Page. If you drive it in the rough, you cannot run it under the green. You just can't. They're all surrounded by rough and gray. Whereas Tory, you can run it under the green. So you've got some chance from further back, but uh, less chance, but doable. I mean, there's a lot of great players. Look, there's no real short hitters anymore. Is there? I mean, a short hitter sitting at 300 yards now.
0: I mean, Brian, Brian Gay's out there. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's gonna be a tough week for Brian. It's (laughs) and Zach Johnson and guys. It's a tough week for guys who are actually the the short hitters, but um, still doable. I mean, Ben Crane won at Tory in the Farmers, which is nuts at that time of year. You know what I mean? Which is a really impressive effort at that time of year. You know what I mean? Because it's normally Bubba, Jason Day, Leishman, John Rahm, Tiger Woods. I mean, these guys like to smash it. You know, always, always.
0: The summer helps shorter hitters so because sure. like that's what everybody's saying is like it's so skewed to bombers uh at the farmers but in a way summer should help shorter hitters a little bit because the ball doesn't go a little bit further for them
1: yeah and you can roll it up there and as i said the kakuyu grass is a adds an element of maybe the rough isn't all about like power out of the rough it's like skill you know because as i said it sits at various heights and there'll be some really thick ones that are all about power, but there'll be some other ones that's all about sort of understanding lies and skill and stuff. So, I mean, I don't know. Yes. Doesn't have to be a bomber. Probably will be, though.
0: Now for a quick word from our sponsor, Smathers and Branton. So, we talked about the founding story. We talked about all their great different products. One of the neat products that they have that's a little personal touch. Think about somebody a loved one. It might be a little late for uh, Father's Day for this, but you could always show them a a picture of receipt you could be the this is a procrastinator you know move Show them a picture of the receipt or whatever it is and say it'll be there in a couple weeks the life belt what they allow you to do is create a custom belt custom design so they have all these cool things like the dancing grateful dead ba- dancing bears the arnold palmer umbrellas you can put all these things onto a belt you can personalize it completely so it could be your favorite team logo with your wedding date and your college logo, you know, all this different stuff on a belt. So I would recommend checking out the life belt out. And obviously, huge thing, 15% off. Use the code FRIEDEGG for 15% off and free shipping. So you can order this. You can check this out. You can build your own life belt at smathersandbranson.com and use the code Egg for 15% off. Now back to Jeff Ogilvy This wasn't my, one of my five things. It probably should have been. As a player, how did uh, was, was there a different feel to the majors at public courses at, at your Beth pages and, um, and Tories than there was that when you went to the, the you know country club that's pretty much, yeah yeah, that, that's built the US. open?
1: There's a little bit... Well, they vary. There is a little bit of a different feel, I think. But they're all very unique. I mean, like, the say, the four publics that come to mind, say like Pebble, which is Pebble. So that... Mm-hmm. That doesn't know, really that has count. a feeling of its own, yeah. right? Um, Pinehurst, that's pretty unique too. Um, that feels different from an Oakmont or a roll or a Marion or something. They definitely feel unique, like... Old school, you know, those ones at the old sort of real private places. Pinehurst, Chambers Bay, that felt really random and weird. You know, that didn't feel like a US Open at all, except that the scores were like a US Open, you know. Even though I didn't I did kind of enjoy the Chambers. They do have a different feel. Absolutely. But Tory Tory has a unique feel for us because we play there every year. You know, we're all there every January or February. We've all played there. The whole field has almost played a ton of tournaments there, so it's kinda of like coming back to where you come every year anyway so it does have a different feel about it
0: that that was one of my five things is you know with it being a regular tour stop does it do you think it gives younger players a an advantage or does it favor older players you know does it favor younger players because there's less to figure out um at this US Open than say you know if you were going to Oakmont
1: probably it's interesting, actually, in it because if you go normally, very often you get to a major, and the whole field has never played the course, or they only played it. In this case, it would be thirteen years ago, you know, or it was like this or is a
0: USAM or, or something.
1: Yeah. Whereas this one, the whole field has probably played the course. I mean, not only in the tour tournament, but like the junior world and stuff that a lot mm-hmm. of kids have been playing. I mean, Phil's been playing there since he was in like five or something, like crazy. Like,
0: did you play that Junior World thing?
1: Never did, no. I don't know, I don't remember it being on my radar. Maybe my par it was just not on my radar because we couldn't afford it. I didn't there wasn't a lot of kids going over from Australia at that time. I know they started going later on. But anyway, this is I think it's an adva- it's always gonna be an advantage to have played it more. So while it's an advantage for the young guys, because they've played it a couple of times maybe in a couple of farmers, Phil's played it. 500 times you know bubba's probably played 12 farmers you know like leash has probably played 10 or 12 or 15 i mean zander's been playing there his whole life so there's young guys who oh, i've played a couple of tournaments here i know tory yeah but you don't know it as well as these guys who have played it that much you know mm-hmm. but there's a, there's another side of that in that it's completely different if you've only ever played it in the farmers then you think tory pines is that but when you get there this week, it's completely different. Like it's the same course, but it's a lot firmer. It's The greens are going to be completely different the way they are set up by the USGA. The roughs going to be different. It's going to be like like what's more kikuyu summer grass and less winter grass. It's going to be firmer. So it's going to be a completely different style tory than you've ever seen. And I think there's a bit of a disadvantage maybe in thinking, you know, what you're going to and playing it like you would in February and then like sort of getting caught out because it's playing different. I don't know. I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's, a, it's a funny one because this is the course that probably most professional golfers, at least who play golf in America, have played the most. So it's an interesting one to have a major at.
0: Always a great field in in February, you know. Like that's the, it'd be like if they went to Riviera. Like at Riviera, this one you generally have like the best players playing it.
1: Yeah, always. And I, I, look, it, it was never my favorite one, but you would always play it because it was the first real test. Like you test, it's it's always. Cool. I mean, San Diego is a great place to be, and the weather's always perfect. But it was it's pretty chilly. Like it's in the fifties and sixties when you play, kind of a damp Tory at that time of year. And it was a real sort of exposure of your weaknesses, if you like, at the start of the year. So it was good to sort of put in the mix. And Tiger kind of made it. At least in my era, Tiger made it what it was because he played it. It was his first tournament every year usually, and he'd always win it. And it had great atmosphere because it was. There and you'd stay in Del Mar or Solana Beach for the week, and it's just a fantastic week. Um, so you get a good field. So it's it's one of the first ones that all like a lot of the Europeans will come over and play that one first. You know the big time guys. It usually gets the best players. So I don't know. There's just something about Torrey that's attractive. I think it's San Diego. You're on the ocean, even though it's probably not everybody's favourite course. Everybody loves playing a tournament there.
0: Have you ever gone hang gliding?
1: No. That looks ridiculous, what they do. But You're out in the 12th green. or The whole course, like along the thing, like you're putting on the, or you're playing four, the, the yeah. long one back along the cliff, and you're on the green, and some guy just pops up from below you. <laughs> yeah. Like your first thing you see is the, the parachute thing or the harrow blotter, and you're just like, where is this guy? He's down there, and he just pops up, and they're like, Forty meters from your head, they're just chilling. They're waving and stuff. It's just, and it's not even windy. Like I don't understand how the whole thing works. Like it's no chance I'm jumping off that cliff. I don't know how it works. The first time, how do they do it the first time? It's like, mate, just put this thing on your back and run, and you'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Like who's doing that? Like that's what I was
0: wondering about when I was out there last time. I was playing with a, a, a guy that's on the rules committee of the USGA, and I told him. Listen, you got to be careful about these hang gliders. I think they could really impact the championship. I mean, they're like, fly- they're buzzing the tower when you're on four,
1: you know? They're right there. They're right there. I think the thing that I've, times in the pro am, and people always try to explain how it works like the water, co- the, the, the the wind come, or the air comes along and it hits the cliff and the, and the, the air goes up, right? So there's an up drive. As soon as they come over, the, if they came over the fourth fairway, they would just fall out of the sky. So they have to stay in that sweet spot. But <laughs> it's, and they're silent. Like, you cannot hear it. Like, it's just... It's nuts. It looks really fun, but it's not something that I would... I just can't imagine just running off the cliff and hoping that the kite worked. Like, what?
0: (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. The cliff does not look like a... It's a very jagged cliff. Like it's just not look like if you hit any part of that cliff, you're you're gonna end up with like a good demise. The, I I bet too. Like one of the things I noticed was the the shadow. Like all of a sudden out of nowhere, you'll have a shadow just go right over you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. They put you off for sure. You cut them because they're kind of up here in your head space in your eye line, and like they're flying there all the time. And if it's like perfect weather and it's like that sort of day, there's like twenty of them. <gasps> Just going Tons up and back. Them. They just go up and back the cliff, like up and down that fourth hole, sort of, you know, like, yeah, it's nuts. I don't know if they have air traffic control or like how they get out of each other's way and stuff, but yeah, it can be a bit off-putting. But it's so, the whole setting there is off-putting. You spend your whole day at Torrey just staring at the Pacific. You can't help it because you can see La Jolla over there and like this is checking the surf and is there waves and like it's just such a stunning view. Almost Pebble is attractive, because of the land that's next to the ocean, how jagged and rugged and the course and stuff. Tori, it's just the ocean. You just can't stop looking. It's so massive. You know, it's, uh, I don't know, you're distracted all day. That's kind of part of the charm, I guess.
0: And then you have the fighter jets, too.
1: Fighter jets all day. Yeah, Relentless. Lux for late, it's like Top Gun all day, yeah. Which is cool too, like, I mean, I don't know who doesn't like watching those things. They're very noisy, and I guess they get annoying after a while, but they're still a thrill to see every time, right? Like, it's crazy.
0: Um, are, is there a shot out there that you think about more than, uh, you know, like, what what's the shot or the hole that's kind of in the back of your mind throughout the round?
1: I always really struggled on 15. I think 15 is one of the hardest holes in the world. Like, it's just all the trees up the left. I think there's less trees than there were, but there's still all the trees up the left. And you're just always in the right rough behind that tree. There's a little tree in the right rough at driving distance. Any on the left side of the fairway, you've got tree issues. And so you end up going on the right side of the fairway, and you're in the right rough, and you've just got, like, this four on out of right rough that you can, you're supposed to hit a wedge out of because you're going under a tree. Like, it's just, I don't know. I find, I always was intimidated by that tee shot. Uh, 12... Well, going all the way through three is a really scary shot,
0: especially when it's over the left.
1: When the tees over the left and the pins over the left, I don't know. It's a one hundred and eighty, but it's playing one hundred and forty. You know, but it's blowing a little bit, and it's just yeah. That's you just you can't get the ball on the ground fast enough. But that hole doesn't allow you. You have to hit it in the air. Yeah, it's a scary one. was tough. I don't know. Fifteen was my nemesis though. Struggle with fifteen.
0: <laughs> all right, uh, Bryson and Brooks.
1: Bryson and Brooks. <laughs>
0: this is this is gotta be one of the five things to watch. Have you ever seen anything like this?
1: No, not really. I mean there was kind of uh there's always small scale feuds on tour. You know, someone who got a penalty because someone was playing slow, and there was like the Sabatini like playing the last hole at Congressional when Brent Crane was still putting it on seventeen. I don't know if you remember that
0: one. <laughs> then you have Sabatini and Tiger too.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, there's been little ones like that, but they just sort of, the, the the public got a glimpse of what was going on, but no one really shared what was going on, you know what I mean? This one's actually, like, they're publicly having a bit of a spat, like, I don't know, it's just the way the world is now, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know, like, the Brooks' like, pattern is to just, I'm going to win and I don't like any of you guys while he's playing, you know? He's definitely not like that when you're in the locker room, like, he's a lovely guy. But his sort of character, if you like, that he plays under is that guy, right? Like, kind of the enemy a little bit, you know? And I don't know. It's just accentuating that. I don't know. I think it's all in good fun. I think it's it's just the world now exposes this stuff now because of social media and stuff, right? And everything's caught on camera and, yeah.
0: I think the interesting thing this week, too, is, like, if you were going to put together, like, two U.S. Open players in a lab, like, that's kind of who you'd come out with. Right. Like those guys yeah. are are really built for these tournaments. And and it, it you know, the, the PGA Tour is probably the only professional sports league that would shy away from pairing these two people. Like, you know, you imagine like the NFL not having Bears and Packers be a primetime game because, you know, or the, you know, NBA not, you know, not showing Kobe and Shaq playing against each other when they were, you know, at peak viewed on national television. Like, oh, we're going to bury this like the you know, this is the tournament. Uh, of the best likelihood of a late weekend pairing, because it sounds like the USJ has no interest in pairing them together for the first two rounds. So it might be the you know I I think everybody wants to see them pair together when something matters.
1: Yeah, yeah, it'd be great on the weekend. I think it would be doing a disservice to the rest of the players in the field on Thursday and Friday. Because can you? I mean, the way crowds are now, crowds are a little bit more vocal than they used to be. You know. Um,
0: Social media, I think, r- drives that.
1: It's changed, I, I'm sure. I mean, the, the, in my in my era, the Phoenix Open changed from a cheerful, loving loving a day at the golf to like I'm going there to yell and cuss at golfers. You know, it's just it changed, and which is fine, but. Can you imagine what the fans would be like if Bryson? I mean, it would just be relentless all day, and there'd be other groups around having to hear it and listen to it, and it would be just, a, it'd become a bit of a sideshow. And I think golf needs to be the center of things. I think Brooks and Bryson would handle it fine. I think they'd be all business, and like, that's just what you do, you know. But I think the fans would potentially, uh, it would be too good an opportunity for them to open their mouths. But it would be brilliant on Saturday or Sunday, wouldn't it be fantastic?
0: What do you think about the PIP? the player impact program. We haven't even talked since this has been instituted.
1: I don't know. I started my golf career thinking that it was all about merit. Whoever plays the best should get the most rewards. This is a contest after all, you know, and by the end of it, my thoughts had sort of changed a bit. And I think entertainment is a big part of this. I mean, we get paid obnoxious amounts of money to get golf shots around. I mean, I think it's – should be mostly meritocracy, but I I I think there are certainly players who bring more people to golf tournaments which make us play for more money, which helps everybody by having an entertainment side, not just purely being great at golf, you know? And I think if more people watch golf, like Brooks said, like on their little spat, I don't know if that's actually true if more people are watching golf, but if it is true, then it's good for it, right? So, but paying people for that, I don't disagree with, The idea of it, like who's bringing eyes onto the sport more, you know, but you know, how are they deciding it? Like, how do you, how do you like sit around in a room and decide who you want to pay that? It just seems a little bit like rich people paying rich people in in the way that it's going to be done. But the idea of it, I don't mind. Is that sitting I, on the fence well
0: enough? <laughs> no, I think that's good. I, I think uh, the I, one of the things I think about it is that I think it's going to go under more iterations and revisions than the FedEx Cup did through the first like six years. I mean, every year this thing's going to be it's going to be a moving target. You know what? How they how they reward it, who they pay because and and then it's like what's a positive versus a negative social reaction? Like was that Brooks Bryson thing that like that? What's crazy is I looked up the, the views for the Masters tweeted out like, you know, right after Tiger won in 2019, the video of him like putting out, hugging Sam. Like, I mean, you're talking all time iconic sports moment and that had 3 million views from two years ago. And then you look at the Brooks Bryson thing, it racked up like 8 or 9 million views in 24 hours before it was scrubbed for the internet, you know, like it's like. Is that, is that a negative or a positive, you know, interaction per their whole thing, you know?
1: Well, that's it. They're only going to go, from my feeling, Ponte Vedra's only going to go for positive stuff, right? But the positive stuff seemingly isn't going to have the impact that the negative stuff does, right? So, I, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know how you decide who gets it. I think clearly there are people who are bringing $40 million worth of value or more with their social, you know what I mean? Like clearly if you add it all up if you add it all up that's just a percentage of what is being brought into the umbrella of the tour really if you add everything up but yeah you, conditioning how you you can bring popularity in with this but only this way you know Bryson and Brooks are really are bringing eyes to golf but it won't be in the way that they want them to be doing it but do you do you take that into account i don't know
0: that's a, i think one of the things too is like with the way golf set up, um, if you compare it to any other major sports league, the highest, the best players are underpaid, drastically underpaid, and the the number of say seventy five to one twenty five is drastically overpaid compared to the you know guys that are filling out benches places on other sports teams, right? So I think like it's perfectly justified to figure out a way to pay your best players and the people that drive you know, the most tier organizations value more money when that's the case, right? And it's just a matter of figuring out how the best way to do it is. So I, I'm like in the camp of like these guys should be making more money, but it's just figuring out how they should make more money.
1: Yeah, it seems a bit sort of random or gray it's a gray area it's a how you do that, yeah. I don't know. Um but you're right. The golf is very democratic in that how sort of it spreads the wealth, you know. But saying that, it's a sport. I don't know. I'm sure it's probably the same in every other sport, but golf just seems to be that the 500th best golfer in the world is really not that far away from being top 10, you know. Like, he's and, really, really, really good. So it's nice to look after guys who are, like, that good, you know. I don't know if every other sport is well, the same. It probably is. What, but.
0: I think my my buddy is ranked, like, 468. He's on the Cord Ferry Tour, and... He makes no money. whatsoever. No, yeah. <laughs> he loses money most
1: years. And it's nuts how good he is. Probably, you know. I mean, oh, if you're on Call Parador, yeah. it's crazy. How you're beating almost everybody in the world. You know.
0: All right. Last last thing here. Of my five things list. The quest for, quest for two majors. I got I got these guys listed down, and I'm curious as a one one time major winner. How much does a second major win? And I got written in here, like you got your younger guys, JT, Bryson, Morikawa, Hideki. And then you got your older guys, Louis, Sergio, Scott, Rose. Those are ones that just kind of jumped to mind. Obviously you got Gary Woodland too, but I I just, I have a hard time putting Gary. He's a great player. Obviously I don't, I can't put him in the same tiers. Those guys Mm -hmm. like, I mean it auto auto hall of fame, right? You know, when you get that second major.
1: Yeah. I mean, look, it's, Interesting. I mean, the first group, who are we with? JT, Colin. Bryson. You'd think of all those guys probably have more in them. You know, JT and Colin, especially, I feel like Bryson, you feel like he's clearly, I mean, he could win five or ten. I mean, who knows? I mean, he's so talented and so good. But he's also a guy, it could go missing from periods, just of the way he goes about it. I feel like he's going to be great or he's going to be struggling, I feel like. Is that I don't know if that's fair or not, but um, and he's got that game. He, he, he I mean, the way he did it at Wingfoot, like no one's going to beat that guy if he plays like that. You know.
0: The thing that's so interesting too is like I feel like we get in this habit of being like, oh, he'll get another one or he'll get one, but we put so many guys in that bucket, and there's only four of them a year.
1: There are four a year, and I found from in my experience, I played. There was something. There's something more there's something easier about majors before you've won one in a way because the there's almost like i always felt there was less pressure and less expectation before i won one once i won one there was more more self put on ex, ex, um expectation and that always made it harder i found easier in a way because you know you've done it and you know all the guys around you have haven't done it maybe and and you feel better about it but i don't know there's an element of it that you, i put more pressure on myself going to a major, oh, you're supposed to play well in this because you always play well in this, you know? Like, I found it a bit more difficult. So, I don't know.
0: Did you you see the Patrick Harrington quote before the PGA that was, like, um, experience? He said, I think he said, experience isn't all it's cracked up to be. When you you gain experience, you lose innocence.
1: Yeah, Yeah, I actually thought that quote was really, yeah, it was thoughts that had been through my head for sure.
0: I, I mean that's like one of my favorite golf quotes I've ever heard.
1: Well, it goes back to you, like your your favorite music analogies and stuff. it. I mean, the first album you've had your whole you've had your whole life to write your first album. Right, the second one that's a lot harder. You know, it's the same. Like you've, you've you've had this fire burning in you since you were a kid, or since whenever it lit, and you win that first major. Duval is the most famous one that I can remember. Like he was on the plane on the way back, sort of nursing the claret jug on his lap and he's like is this all there is like is this what i was actually dreaming about like this is great but like thought, almost like,
0: empty yeah
1: like and i think that what happened to guy you see a lot of guys azinger and these guys who just
0: i feel like sergio a little bit sergio yeah
1: just burn just burn to win that first one and then they do and it's like oh yeah that's cool done that now like and and the fire goes out a little bit you know so, I don't know. Look, Colin look, Colin and JT seem to be guys who are going to be top 10, top 15 in the world their whole career. They're going to fall into a few, you would think, you know. I mean, JT is so good. I haven't played with Colin, actually. clearly very good, but JT, like, blows me away when I see him play and I've played with him. And the other guys, geez, it would be great to see. I mean, it would be great to see Scotty or Rosie or – who was the other one, Louis. Lu- Louis? Louis Sergio. to me, is the most deserving out of those four that you said – because he's there every single mate. I mean, he's finished second in every, he's like the Grand Slam of seconds, you know, like it's just crazy. Like, <laughs> his
0: attitude, knock- his attitude about it just seems like, like, he just seems like the best guy to play golf with because, you know, if you beat him, he's just gonna be a great guy, you know, <laughs> like to, to sing that song, he did it from the jet after one of them, like, you know, after he did the Grand Slam, like just the best attitude in the world.
1: He's a goose, he's so fun. he's the funnest guy in the President's cup like locker room. he is so much fun like he is loose, you know, but he is an unbelievable competitor like if you got in between like when him and Gracie or him and Charles are out there in those things, it's like he's as competitive as anyone I've ever met, but he seems to be able to just flick the switch and not take it too seriously, you know like he's got that great that great headspace where he where he's all in but not taking it seriously like it's a bit like d j you know, like similar, different personalities, but that same sort of, I'm all in, you're not going to beat me today, but when you do, shake hands and, oh, let's go have a beer, how fun was that? You know, like, I don't know how you do that. Most guys carry it for like three days and yeah. like break their exactly. hand in the locker room or something. Like They're just <laughs> laughing about it. But I'd love to see, I think he's the most deserving of that older group just because he's had so many close calls in majors and he never really gives them away. He just always seems to get outplayed by somebody. You know, like, just who's having a better week than him. You know, he just got caught up in the Mickelson show like at Kiowa. You know, no feel yeah. he might win that one and like lots of other ones. I don't know. But like Scotty, who's... I mean, Scotty, Rosie and Sergio all, they'd be massively popular winners, right? Especially at Torrey. Like if there's anywhere really, because they're all hitting pretty long still. But the putting, putting's harder when you get older, you know? And I just think um two of those three, Rosie's putting has been pretty solid his whole career. But Sergio mm-hmm. and Scotty are not like always putting great and tory if if anything tory riv pebble are the three most testing places to putt that we play as pros
0: especially especially the later in the day especially
1: later in the day i mean augusta and oakmont and that they're famously fast and stuff but that's different the ball stays on the ground and it and it's different But it's you've got to have that putting mindset that speeth snedica Faxon, sort of tiger woods putting mindset on those greens and it's almost always a guy like that you know so it's gonna be tough for those guys for Sergio and Scotty especially because that's as I said it's a putting mindset so If they can, you never know I'd love to see him win that'd be great I mean all any one of those players you mentioned would be great to see win
0: yeah Louie's so interesting because he gets this bad rap about like he doesn't care you know there's like the famous story about like the agent saying like if if he if I could just get him to care as much about his track about golf as he cares about his tractors and farm like but like part of me like thinks that's like that's how he's gotten over all these close calls and just keeps coming back is because he he's done with golf and he's gone, you know it's over
1: i think i mean I think sometimes that that's just a gift it's actually there's a bit of jealousy in that that he can be that in and not care. Like, but it isn't not caring. It's like Dustin. I think Dustin yeah. has the, is the perfect headspace for a golfer. He had a quote last week that was brilliant. It's like, I don't know, i, I just hit the ball and see where it goes, <laughs> you know, or where it is. And that's his, that's his whole, that's his book. Like it's, i just hit the ball and see where it goes. Um, that, that's perfect though. We all sort of laugh and like think, oh, he's not really trying, but he actually is trying as hard as anybody. He's just not taking it. It's just not life or death.
0: And he's telling he's telling exactly what he's thinking.
1: Yeah, like, we all treat it as life or death. Even Tiger used to treat it as life or death a little bit. Like, it was so serious. You know, it's like, all the way down. And so it works, but it seems to be taxing on the headspace. So DJ and Louis are, like, walking on air when they walk around there. And they probably have longevity because of, it's just not that, look, it isn't life or death. I'm having a great time here, and I'm going to beat you. But if I don't, oh, well, I'll get you next time. Nicholas was like that. Jack used to be like the first guy to congratulate the guy who had just beaten him, you know, and he'd walk off with him in arm and arm and smiling and stuff like, "Well done, mate. That was fun. You want to do it again next week?" Like that's the spirit, I think. And those guys have got it. It's a very rare attribute to be able to be like that. People yeah, don't get it.
0: Well, it's a beautiful thing when when it's a game that ninety nine percent of the time you fail. Like that's the thing. Yeah. <laughs> chews you up and spits you out almost every single time uh and like to have the headspace to just be like oh whatever like you know like the rumors or like dj after so many of these close calls was just like fine the next day it's like that that's enviable
1: it's because the golf is the fun part for them right like they're just mm-hmm. loving the contest you know once the contest yeah. is over it's like it doesn't really matter the fun part was actually doing it like it's not walking home with a trip. i mean Dustin's probably got trophies still in boxes that he hasn't got out. You know, he's just not doing it for the trophies. He's not doing it for the money. I mean, the money. Oh, it's a bonus. He's just doing because he loves doing it. You know, um, yeah. and that's really kind of so pure and innocent that I mean, you all wish we could be like that, right? Just enjoy golf for golf and whatever I have. Then we'll just laugh about it afterwards. You know, incredible.
0: Yeah, for like the country club hack, just like imagine really like all the you know I can't eat enough club championships. You could tell that most people don't really enjoy the club championship. They feel like they have to play, but then they get in the ring and they're just like, "Oh, this is I do not enjoy this." Like you know, it's like think about just going and enjoy the join the match and the pressure. You know?
1: Yeah, that's really the magic. I mean, the the secret sauce is being more relaxed. The more competitive it gets, right? You know like Freddie and Dustin and Louis it's like they just they're more in their element you know it's just amazing
0: Do you do you agree like I don't you know I think sometimes like Telcast the pressures made too much in the tournament like the, I feel like where the big pressure points are are at the start of a tournament and getting it home in a round right Like when you're on like the 13th hole your pressure levels way less than when it was on on the first tee right
1: Yeah I mean I think Like, especially if you're talking major, but any tournament, really, the real pressure points are before you start the whole tournament, first tee, first tee every day, Friday afternoon, if you're on the cut line, is, like, one of those pressure moments. And going to sleep on a lead is tough. Like, if you're leading or you've got a chance going into Sunday, I think Saturday night and Sunday morning are way more difficult than actually playing the game. And then, yeah, getting it home. The last few holes. Like, even in a U.S. Open, contending or in the Masters or anything like that, you have key sort of pressure moments. You know, like the, the tee shot on twelve or something or the Masters or something clearly is like a pressure moment. But playing the fourteenth and the thirteenth of the field I mean, it's not ultra pressure. The getting the last couple of holes, last hole, holding that putt for par on seventeen to get to be still tied on the last—that's just little points, yeah. The last putt is always tough last part's always tough because you've always given yourself the score, right? Like, yeah. you're going out the last and you're three under. It's like, oh, if I birdie this, I can shoot 68. And then you have that little 12-footer. It's like, well, 68. At least I have 69 if I just two-putt this. And you know, three feet past. There's that three-footer for 69. It's like, oh, God. like That's the longest three-footer all day. Just even though it doesn't even matter. Like, it's just, yeah. It's all self-inflicted, all that pressure. All of it. Amazing.
0: All right. What's, uh, what's your pick? Who's your pick? What's your winning what score?
1: All right, well, I would have Rahm as my favorite, I think. Now, who knows what he's been up to the last two weeks. Um, obviously, compromised uh, preparation in a way, but the guy is like, if I was going to build a golfer for Tory Pines, it would be him. Um, and I'd pick him over the other Bombers because his short game is better, I think, at those really freakish shots around the greens. I think he's just got that flair that, sort of would suit a US Open. So I'll pick Ram. And the last time he played, he was six in front after three rounds, you know? So he's clearly playing pretty well. And he's won there before. Uh, Shoffley, clearly. Ram would be my pick, but I'd give honourable mentions to Shoffley. I think Louis will do well. And the Smoky would be like uh, Sungjae. Sungjae him for my long shot, because he's going to win one. I'll just pick him as my long shot until he's not a long shot anymore, you know? He's... Uh, He's so good. He's going to win one, for sure. And Matsuyama, I'm sure, has inspired, even it's a different. it's a diff- completely different country, it's still it's sort of inspired and shown sort of South Korea is going to win a pile of majors, I would think, over the next 20 years, you know, um, and he might be like the next guy to do it.
0: Yeah, I was doing some K.J. Choi research and it was crazy. You, know, you had that high finish in the Masters. I want to say in like early 2000s, it was his first like really good major finish. And a, a reporter asked him, you know, how how big is this back in South Korea? And he goes, I don't know. Where did the women play this week? Yeah. It's wild, wild to think about that. Like the, he's playing the biggest, biggest uh, you know men's event, and he finishes in the top. Like I think it was t third. You know, highest yeah. finish ever by a South Korean. And he and he essentially is like kind of annoyed that the you know, about like how nobody cares.
1: Yeah, the women are playing their fifth best tournament that week. Yeah. Uh Japan's the same. I mean the Japanese ladies tour has thirty five or forty tournaments and they're massive and they play for more than the guys over there. So it's um bal- it's a more balanced sport over there or balance the other way. Like it's out of balance the other way. But um yeah, I don't know. I think Sung is nuts.
0: Yeah. It's uh it it seems like well, this Higo guy, you guys got a pipeline for the President's Cup team.
1: I know, yeah, we'll see, we'll see. I mean I think we're doing so much better in that event. And not that we haven't had the talent, but if you look at the first couple of Presidents Cup teams we had, I mean it was Norman, Price, Ells, V J, uh, Elkington. Like it was like half the top ten in the world, you know, at the time. Like if we had half and we don't have that now, if we had half the top 10 in the world now, I think we'd really be competitive, you know? So this kid, he looks good. He's won five times in 20 starts or something. And he's just turned pro. I, mean, he was at, I remember we met him uh, and I didn't remember until the other day because I saw all the pictures, but he was at the junior president's cup in New York. Like he'd, at the start of the week at Liberty National, they, they the junior president's cup team plays at another venue, but then they come and like hang out with us for a day and stuff. And it's like, they're all little kids, it feels like, you know, and he's like two years later, he's one on tour, four years later now, and he's winning on two. It's cool to see.
0: Yeah, it's wild. It's uh, That
1: course looks cool. That conger- congery looked awesome.
0: It's It's got some neat stuff. It's got some other stuff where I'm kind of like, eh. But uh, the, the thing that's amazing about it, they, it's like rock hard and fast all the time, which is, you know, just a delight to play.
1: Yeah, it's the best.
0: Especially you go into shoulder season, the, it's dormant too. It just flies out there.
1: Dormant Bermuda is great fun to play on. Oh,
0: it's amazing. Or, or it was
1: almost cool. dormant, you know, semi-dormant. You know, that sort of not completely yellow and not growing, but like that halfway through, that thin sort of firm, rolly, it's almost a bit like Link's turf a little bit.
0: Cool place to hang out too. But uh, hey, thanks for uh, coming on. I don't know who I'm picking at. I'm I i was I'm between Brooks and Bryson, and, and I still <laughs> have Rom and my my water does i got i i haven't done a good job of uh pacing them out but uh i think one of those three to me i mean i think dj too dj did exactly what you like to see like i think i don't if i and i don't know how you feel about this if i'm in contention the week before a major and i'm a big player i'm throwing it i'm i'm getting out of there i want my t4 I want I want nothing to do with winning the week before a major. Just does Nobody ever wins two weeks in a row.
1: It's pretty rare, isn't it? Yeah, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I don't know what you do. You don't try to not win, obviously, but maybe you're not really paying quite as much attention as you would at a normal time. I don't
0: know. Yeah, DJ made that late triple. I think he might have just said, I don't want to win this. <laughs> <laughs> Look, DJ so... can
1: win any week he tees it up. And Tori is, of course... It's a match made in heaven for someone like DJ, so.
0: He putts well on POA, too. Yeah, he does. That's the other thing. So, all right. Thanks for coming on, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Oh, it sounds good. Thanks, man.